I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. Technically, it's not Newsbeat, but it's brought to you by Newsbeat. This is This Week in Social Justice, a weekly live stream extravaganza where the Newsbeat podcast crew, consisting of myself, Manuel Faces, uh, my cohorts, the managing editor of Newsbeat, Mr. Rashed Mian, and uh, the editor-in-chief, Christopher Tuarski. Gentlemen, how are you? Okay. All right. Okay. How are we you did just come off a uh, 48-hour road trip, but or I did. whatever it was. It was almost that many hours of driving. Uh, as the inimitable uh, Nas, Mr. Nazir Jones, once said, making moves to Atlanta, back and forth, scrambler. I was down there in Atlanta, road tripping it back and forth to Atlanta. I feel like Ari Melbourne now. Like I'm just like throwing in <laughs> rap lyrics. You know, you know, you know. As uh, as Nas said, uh, do not compare yourself to him. I mean, <laughs> making moves to Atlanta, back and forth, scrambler. Don't you agree? Yeah, you know, um, I'm sorry. Come on, Mel. Give yourself not, more credit. Anything, more anything credit. exciting? Anything exciting happened down there? Uh, just uh, this personal stuff. I mean, you know, a, a good portion of my children uh, live in Atlanta, um, and uh, my daughter is uh, is expecting uh, a uh, grand baby girl faces uh, in about Ooh. a month or so, and so there was a baby shower brunch thing and. There was a surprise, and we came down. So we just came down to see the fam and uh, handle a little business. And then um, we'll All be right. back probably next month whenever she uh, – what's the word for expo- – expo- ex- expels. When she expels her baby is what I'm trying to say. You just say delivers, and you'd be all set. I like different words. The way they say it. Well, listen, this is Newsbeat Presents <clears> – <throat> well, <clears throat> going through per- puberty – uh, Newsbeat presents This Week in Social Justice, where the colleagues, uh, uh, the aforementioned colleagues, the Newsbeat podcast, we're podcasters, we're not just handsome faces uh, on the screen in front of you, but we like to deliver some of the uh, news uh, from the world of social justice in a very unique, compelling way. We're like Pod Save America, but a lot cooler and slightly less white. So, yeah, that's all. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we got them there. <laughs> So, uh, so gentlemen, this is what we do. We actually have two great guests for today. We're going to do some news beat bites. Yeah. And thank you for anyone who's uh, tuned in and checking us out. Please leave comments in the comment section. Uh, we will uh, address your comments, uh, questions, concerns, and particularly your praise. We're very and hit uh, that like and share, obviously, too, so other people notice. It. Share this, get some people involved. But wait, if you don't know us, and you're like, who, where, where, Manny, what are you doing? I know you, but I don't know this thing. Uh, we'll tell you what we're all about, and we'll demonstrate. So first, let's just tell people what we have in store. Two guests tonight. Gentlemen, who do we got tonight? All right. So the first guest tonight uh, is Amy Stelly. She is a designer and board member of the Urban Conservancy, and she is also the, she also co-founded the Claiborne Avenue Alliance. So Amy's going to come on to talk about some of the racial justice aspects of urban planning and how um, something that happened decades ago sort of decimated a neighborhood in New, or- New Orleans. And we're going to talk about why that's relevant today. All right. And then at about, I don't know, 8.35 or so. 
At around 8.35, we have the internationally recognized environmental activist, Catherine Flowers, who's the founder of the Center for Rural Enterprise and Environmental Justice, and recently published a book called Waste, One Woman's Fight Against America's Dirty Secret. And she's going to explain to us what that dirty secret is in the context of environmental racism. All right, very interesting uh, lineup tonight and very important issues that tie in a little bit to one of the episodes that we uh, uh, previously uh, put out on Newsbeat uh, regarding environmental uh, racism, environmental justice. So we'll get into that as well. So do stick around again, share the, the, the stream, let people know we have some guests coming on to talk about some things. This is how we do it this week at Social Justice and at Newsbeat, talking about some of the things you don't hear enough uh, over on the MSM, the good old hmm. main media. For now, uh, before we get into our first guest, let us do what we normally do at the top of the show, bring a couple of things to your attention that, again, you might not be aware of, but we think are important. These are our News Beat Bites. So, uh, I always go first, and then I'm never ready, but I will tell you that I saw this story yesterday. I thought it was pretty interesting, and I want to see what happens uh, in the long Thanks, run. Bucky. Facebooky. I put up put this up before, and my daughter, she's six. She walks by, she looks at the screen, she goes, I hate Facebook. And walks I'm away. On that one. Yeah, I know. So it was great. Uh, so this was interesting. Uh, again, this is uh, again, I I I kind of get these things and I don't have a whole lot of time to go into them. But apparently, according to the headline here, this is a Washington Post story that the business insider uh, posted that I'm not posting the Washington Post link because it's behind a paywall. Uh, but face Facebook did not hire black employees because they were not a culture fit. Uh, says a report, and there's a, uh, a few, I think three or four, three applicants filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, uh, the agency that investigates workplace discrimination. Uh, we hear a lot about culture, corporate culture, culture fit, wanting to have people uh, that fit your, uh, I, you know, your ideals, your values, all these things. Uh, this was really interesting. Uh, a Facebook operations manager told the paper he believes several qualified applicants he referred to jobs at the company were rejected because they were not a culture fit uh that, that one of the uh, uh people raising uh you know this suit or this complaint says quote i'm looking for the quote now there's no there's no doubt you can do the job but we're really looking for a culture fit uh the operations <laughs> manager says i try to refer people he goes but unfortunately not many people i knew could pass the culture fit challenge because the culture here doesn't reflect black people. So in other words, hey, we'd love for you to be a part of this company. We can't not hire you because you're insert thing here, whether it's, you know, uh, whether you're African-American, whether you're Hispanic-American, whether you're yeah. LGBTQ, whatever. But we can say that you don't fit our culture. So that's a super interesting uh, and super crappy workaround to <laughs> the so a culture, A culture of letting right-wing extremists just perpetuate lies on their social media site. Isn't that isn't that interesting that that's the the platform we're talking about? So I like I'm gonna we're gonna watch this. I want to see um, uh, what they're what they're gonna do, and you know they take seriously allegations of discrimination and have robust policies <laughs> and practices in place for employees to report. Blah, blah, blah. We'll see oh, what happens with this. I thought it was an interesting uh, thing, and I hadn't heard about it uh, really uh, anywhere else. So I'm sharing that as my news beat news bite. Rashad, what do you got? Or Chris, who's next? Chris, Chris, what do you got? I'll go next. Um, so so uh, a report recently came out uh, that found the murder rate 
had skyrocketed um, by 30% across 34 large cities in the United States. Um, and even with it being that high, it's still, it's still low. It's still below the highs of the eighties and the nineties, but, um, you know, obviously uh, horrific news, you know, there's, uh, criminologists and all these studies going on out trying to find out, you know, you know, what the exact reasons are, um, because, you know, in, in prior, uh, pandemics and and tragedies like this, they just haven't seen this. I mean, obviously, we know gun sales spiked um, last year. Uh, you know, tens of millions of people unemployed. Um, you know, loss of housing, all these different things. And what was incredible is that then the the response to this from um, Senator Tom Cotton uh, <laughs> right. was. Was that that the U.S. is has an under incarceration problem? So it, you know, it's just I don't know. I just found that that dichotomy there just infuriating, and also just I mean, now he's the same guy who uh, called for the Espionage Act to be used against investigative journalists. Um, you know, he's he's the guy who uh, he 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 tried to pass a legislation specifically banning funding for uh, educational projects uh, that highlight uh, the horrific ramifications of slavery. Um, whoa, he also whoa. wanted the military to squash protesters uh, last summer. Yeah. You, yep. you, can't, you, can't, you can't be teaching this stuff in schools, though, Chris. Come on. I mean, doesn't he have a point? <laughs> I don't know. I was just sort of... The kids are I too just, sensitive. Too I was sensitive. floored, but I was also just like, you know. So, so what do we? What, yeah. Didn't Tom Cotton actually work with like with with Trump when they were passing um, uh, federal prison reform? Didn't he actually work with him so. on that? And, and and you know, so everybody's there's obviously a big backlash uh, about this. Um, but you know, if you just dig a little deeper, he said the exact same thing in 2016. Right. Oh, so he's just recycling yeah. tweets, just going through his feed <laughs> and just saying, "Hey, this one what worked. Does, what does this apply to?" <laughs> Just check my tweet. Send it out. I had a pretty good one in 2016 that we can apply to this too. Yeah. Instead of, oh my God. Tom Cotton, the prolific tweeter. All right. Well, thank you for pointing that out to us. Uh, We'll we'll have to invest as social justice uh, journalists. uh, We'll have to investigate this under incarceration problem. Yeah. Can I just say something real quick on this topic? Like on a serious note though. Um, Chris mentioned the criminologist. Like we interviewed somebody in California who does this for a living um, about criminal justice reform in that state. And they talked about how it it's so difficult to actually get to the bottom of rises in crimes, the fall in crime rates, even like five, 10 years later. So people are trying to pin, you know, the, the spike in homicides to this, you know, to whatever they want to attribute to um, that fits their sort of their, their political ideology. It's a, it's a, it's a little off base. Interesting. Uh, yep. Well, you know, we and again, we uh, we don't want to take too much time off of the bites, but this goes to the point of before. It sounds like uh, you know research and analysis and statistics are something that's failing us a lot. We talked about it with hate crimes, where we can't really tell how many hate crimes are happening, and of course, they defunded the the government that was researching how to you know stop people from being radicalized. And you know, so we don't have the information, we don't have the data, we don't have the programs we don't have all the things needed to actually figure out what's happening to then be able yeah, to yeah. solve and and, and yeah 
Yeah, and, and, and I think it goes without saying for viewers of the show here, the United States is the incarceration capital of the globe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, it's like... There's a mass incarceration crisis. We're trying to get people out. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Apparently, we're not incarcerating enough. But I mean, you know, we'll, we'll have to investigate that uh, a little bit more. Uh, Rashad, your news bite, sir, for the good folks. Uh, so speaking of under incarceration, um, New York State actually passed a good news. They passed a solitary confinement uh, ban, sort of. Uh, last it's week, you need to, and we need to throw them in solitary confinement. It's, it's more yeah. remarkable, but okay. So this is huge news because it limits the time people could spend, um, in solitary confinement in New York state jails and prisons to 15 days, which I know that you know, we're going to say, what's right. the point of having it at all? Cause people, um, compare solitary confinement to a form of torture, which, you know, just being in an, I think it's like an elevator sized cell for 24 hours, seven days a week, obviously. I don't is, even like being a better sized elevator. So yeah. 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 So, but that's going to uh, take effect in a year from now. So people can only be in there for 15 days. And there's some groups that are prohibited from entering solitary confinement um, anyway. And those are children. And I think people with disabilities. Um, and another thing to point to in this is that Black Americans, Black New Yorkers are obviously disproportionately impacted by this. They represent less than 20% of the population, the state population, but I think more than 57% of the people who end up in solitary confinement are Black. Um, so obviously there's a racial justice component to this and and um, it's it's something that's been hard fought, just like medical, mar I mean, uh, recreational marijuana, which we talked about last week, how that right. was going on that fight was going on for for several years this one was too and it finally got uh passed and signed by the governor uh that's great news uh you know relatively speaking of course uh why a year why can't they just why can't they just go now now I don't know. Why? Like, just, just stop just stop putting people in there we could we could Man. suddenly let people start smoking weed which you know <laughs> again those sales aren't happening legally right now uh there's right. no like you can't go into a store and get it uh, right. But yeah, it's going to take a year, I guess. Uh, so little victories, little victories. We'll take them when we get them, but uh, we want more. But well, again, this may have been news to some of y'all. So this is what we're trying to do. Once again, our, hold on, I got to do the fancy swishy thing. Once again, our news beat. Okay. So as they say on Clubhouse, let me reset the room. Uh, you are watching This Week in Social Justice presented by the News Beat Podcast. That's us. Yalla y'all. Uh, if you see us in the comment section, say hi. Let us know. We're putting all the links to the stories that we're talking about in the comment section or the chat section of whatever you're watching us. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and intergalactic uh, planetary. But, yeah, it is, yeah. It's jumping off some satellites and bouncing. It's a new. It's a new network uh, started by uh, the uh, um, Andresine uh, investors. Anyway. Uh, so Silent Night. Silent Night is busy. Oh, look, busy. Look, Silent Night. Look what I happened wearing tonight. I didn't plan it. Uh, oh. I didn't. What's the line? I didn't plan it. That's just the way. I don't know. Anyway, Silent Night, our artist in residence, is in the building uh, as well. We actually have a clip from a Newsbeat podcast. It's relevant to the discussions we're about to have with our guests. And that clip features Silent Night. You'll find out what it is about the Newsbeat podcast that uh, in 2018 gave us the Journalism Podcast of the Year Award from the New York Press Club beating the uh i don't know if you've heard of these the new york time is that it 
the New York Times? Did we beat them for journalism podcast? Yeah, we did. So anyway, without further ado, uh, I know it's not the same ado. I know. Uh, let's go. Our first guest is in the green room waiting for us uh, eagerly. We are eagerly awaiting her. Gentlemen, uh, who do we got and what's it all about? Yeah, we're honored tonight to be talking to Amy Stelly. She's a designer and board member of the Urban Conservancy out in New Orleans. Uh, Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And um, there's obviously uh, been a lot of news about infrastructure and urban planning recently. And I know uh, your organization has been um, at the forefront of some of these. So Amy, we wanted to have you on to talk about some of the sort of the structural racist um, elements of urban planning, especially mm -hmm. in New Orleans. And can you, for, so for some of our guests, can you explain um, the Claiborne Expressway in the Treme neighborhood of New Orleans, which has been characterized as a monster, a monument to racism and the cause of a public health crisis? Can you just talk about the origins of the interstate and in impact on Claiborne Avenue and the surrounding uh, area? Sure. So um, the Claiborne Expressway was actually planned in 1945, and it was part of the interstate um, project that was the dream of President Dwight Eisenhower. He wanted to connect the cities in the United States with an interstate highway system. So the leaders of New Orleans decided that they would you know, participate and decided that Claiborne Avenue was a good place to plop down a piece of infrastructure. And there are a couple of reasons why they chose Claiborne. To begin with, the Treme neighborhood, which is one of the oldest African-American neighborhoods in the United States, had been declared slum. And the declaration of a neighborhood as a slum gave the government carte blanche to come in and practice things like eminent domain, which it did in Claiborne uh, back in the 1930s. In the 20s, the city decided that Claiborne should be an entertainment district because in New Orleans, we need entertainment. Um, so they began, uh, you know, acquiring property. They displaced people, raised houses in Treme, and actually built a municipal auditorium, which oddly enough, has became a beloved facility in the city because it hosted graduations and the circus and Mardi Gras balls and the whole nine yards. Um, and at this point, that particular uh, civic uh, landmark is under consideration to put the move the current city hall there, which I have to go on record as saying I'm vehemently opposed to because of some of the same reasons I don't want the interstate, right? It's inappropriate for the neighborhood. It's going to have all kinds of impacts and unforeseen uh, circumstances that we don't want to entertain. But I, I want to move a little bit beyond that. Um, right. So in the 60s, the day after Mardi Gras on Ash Wednesday, the federal government decided that they were gonna come in and bulldoze a, a beautiful stand of oak trees. And the, the pictures of Claiborne pre-interstate are pretty legendary. Um, and they just really drove a heart through the community. And in essence, they did, it's not in essence, they did destroy the economic heart of the black community. And Claiborne was a thriving, um, economic corridor because that is where black people could shop during segregation. So during segregation in Jim Crow, 
we did not feel comfortable going on Canal Street, which was the primary retail corridor in the city at that time, because we just weren't allowed, we weren't accepted. So Claiborne was where you could get everything you needed from dance gear to produce to, um, you could take music lessons, dance lessons, bury your loved ones. It just offered um, a lot of goods and services to the community. So when Claiborne was eviscerated by the interstate, it really just destroyed a very thriving middle-class black community and a retail district that served all of black New Orleans. Incredible. Is the beginning of divestment for the people in that area or was it synonymous sort of with other so-called urban renewal plans that were unjust? Actually, it was the beginning of the divestment in the neighborhood. Slowly but surely, the businesses started to close and fall off, um, you know, in places where heirs may have come in and, and taken over the business. They chose not to. It, it really just totally changed the neighborhood and the environment. It changed the climate, too. But um, that was the beginning of the end, so to speak, for uh what was a, a thriving place in New Orleans. And Amy, we, we've um, discussed this on, on podcast episodes and this sort of, you know, uh, uh, redlining and, and sort of segregation and that impact that, that it's had on the environment. And I just want you to talk about a little more sort of just how sort of beautiful Claiborne Avenue was. I, I read that it had the mo- the longest streak of oak trees, I think in the country, there's yes. azalea bushes. And from our research, we know that tree cover is important, especially when you're talking about urban heat um, mm-hmm. and, and the problems people have with um, overheating. So can you just talk about from an environmental perspective, um, what it was like back then as compared to now? Well, I can only assume what it was like back then um, because I don't have um the experience that others had when Claiborne was fully treed. Uh, But I can tell you just based on my knowledge of the environment that number one, it had to be cooler um, because now we have, you know, tons of concrete that of course exacerbate heat um, and exacerbate the the heat island um, effect. So we we had that open space that was cooling, it was shaded. Uh, we did not have the pollutants that we have now. Um, we did not have the emissions, um, even though you know we didn't have as many cars, uh, we certainly didn't have all the additional cars and all the additional truck traffic that we're seeing as a result of the interstate. Um, also, we did not have the flooding problem that we have now. And the existence of the highway just exacerbates flooding because the highway hasn't been maintained in its lifetime by the city or the state or the federal government. So now it just doesn't drain anymore and it shoots hot water off of the deck, which exacerbates flooding. And then the hot water goes into our drainage system, warm water. And then raises the temperature of Lake Pontchartrain, which is the drainage basin for the whole country. So, right, we're changing uh, the ecology, even though people can't put it together because one is not necessarily near the other and they don't see the water shooting into Lake Pontchartrain. But we're changing the ecology of the lake every time we send that hot, polluted water 
through the city's drainage system into Lake Pontchartrain. So we have to really understand what these roadways do when number one, they aren't maintained. Uh, that's one of my favorite pictures because that just cuts through a residential neighborhood, which again is sad, you know, and imagine living there with all of that concrete, no trees, no cooling, no nothing. Um, so these things are not environmentally friendly, right? They are strictly built for the convenience of cars. They are not built for people and they are harmful for people. It's horrifying. Um, now, Amy, the story of Claiborne has been renewed in response to the Biden administration's multi-billion dollar infrastructure plan. And according to the White House, uh, it calls for, it includes $20 billion for a new program that will reconnect neighborhoods cut off by historic investments and ensure new projects, this is a quote, and ensure new projects increase opportunity, advance racial equity and environmental justice and promote affordable access. But how can this proposal, along with the work local organizations are doing, try to correct, if even possible, the injustice done to the community more than 50 years ago? Um, that's a good question because really you, you can't catch up. And as long as America continues on this road of thinking that black and brown people and poor people um, don't need help, don't need a leg up because, you know, we're lazy, we don't go to school or whatever they attach to that racism. For as long as we're not willing to do that, we're going to have these conditions. What the bill does is, uh, in addition to providing for the reconnection of neighborhoods, it also provides for equity in other sections of the building. So there's a part for a community-led revitalization, um, and there is a provision for giving people access to capital. And these are all of the things that poor people, black and brown people don't have, right? We typically don't have community-led revitalization, number one, that takes skill and it takes access to capital because you can't do land acquisition, you can't develop with nothing, right? Um, so, and giving people access to capital, making sure that craftsmen are lifted up, which we need in New Orleans because we have unique houses that take, you know, skilled craftsmen. So these provisions, can give set the table for us to then create programs that help to lift people and create equity. But that is not work that we can start when the interstate is down. We need to be doing that work now, not only in New Orleans, but in all cities, because equity has to come first. It cannot come last. So we can't have this as an afterthought. So I am very um, pleased to see that the Biden administration is thinking in terms of creating equitable places, particularly when these interstates come down and they do need to come down, they are not healthy. Amy, just the last question in the minute that we have left, can you just um, tell viewers and listeners sort of the, the plan to actually remove the interstate and maybe how they can get involved in some way, even if they don't live in the, in the region, uh, maybe uh, digitally or just to learn and spread the word? Right. Um, well, the easiest way to learn about the Claiborne Avenue Alliance is to go to our website. Thank you for putting that there. Um, and there is a contact um, form 
within there. And if you just submit the contact form, I will respond to you. Um, one thing that people can do is certainly encourage Louisiana legislatures and our local politicians to walk with community. And that has been uh, something that I've been asking our local leaders to do for over two years. So we need folks to, to help us encourage our leaders that this is a good thing and this is what they should do. And of course, if you have friends and relatives in New Orleans, of course, we would love for you to talk this up and talk up the repair of not only Treme, but the seventh ward. And one of the pictures you showed where the two decks were going straight through and there was a real sharp perspective shot, that is in the seventh ward there. And it just took out houses, affordable housing. So we need to bring these things back. Um, the other way that you can get involved, of course, is to support us with funding. And we're going to have to get a donate button, button on our website. But I've been doing this work for years with no pay. And the, the deeper we get into the advocacy piece and getting it down, the more demanding this type of work comes. But if folks have ideas, they can certainly reach out. We certainly have to go through some studies to determine how this is going to come down. I've already spoken to some engineers who say that this can be dismantled piece by piece. You can do a block a week, which was really encouraging to me. Um, but I'm certainly open to receiving um, professional assistance, legal assistance, anything that you can do to help us. I am open to hearing what folks have to offer. And of course, that support, uh, you know, continuing support on local, state, and federal levels, because now that we've caught the eye of the president, we have to make sure that this keeps going, that, you know, cities like New Orleans don't fall off the radar. And, and you know, we are helping our uh, fellow freeway fighters in other places. So if you know someone who wants to fight a freeway, then certainly get in touch because, in Louisiana, we now have the four corners of the state covered with people who are either knowledgeable about doing this or people who are fighting this on the ground. And that's happening in other states too. That's great, Amy. So I we really appreciate you sharing the history of Claiborne, what's happening now, and sort of the impact of this when we just hope, um, obviously you said it can't be corrected, but uh, hopefully um, there is a way of moving forward. Um, yeah backed by the community. Um, yeah. So Amy, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Take care. Pleasure. Thank you so much for that information, Amy. This is amazing. We have uh, put all the links to the uh, to the website, Claiborne Avenue Alliance. All the things we've been talking about are in the comment section. And if you're listening on the podcast feed, because we are dropping these on the Newsbeat podcast feed, uh, please look at the show notes. Uh, as you know, one of the things we like to talk about so much about these issues is it's great to be informed. It is greater to be involved. So yeah. that's a yeah. good quote. I got to remember that. I just made that up right now. Yeah. And, and you know, what was what's uh, what's so important also is that like that's just one freeway. <laughs> yeah. There are there are right. so many neighborhoods that just got freaking wiped off the map, and and just concrete monsters as they you know, just put straight through it, all these families displaced. I mean, it's, 
we we learned about well i learned about this because you guys did a lot of the work and i'm just the guy that pushes the buttons uh, i like that uh amy complimented the way that the buttons were being pushed in the background i'm just a glorified button pusher uh, but uh, please tee up and we'll show a clip from our episode because there are people watching us that are like, oh, these live stream guys, they're awesome. They know all this stuff. They have the greatest guests in the history of media. Uh, and at least one of them is extremely handsome. Uh, but we actually are podcasters that put together an incredible news, uh, social justice oriented news related music slash podcast. Uh, and one of the topics that we're discussing, and we'll continue to discuss tonight, I believe. Uh, has to do with this issue. Tee it up and let me play it for the people. Yeah, this is a short clip um, from our redlining episode, basically talking about how history of redlining has uh, made environmental hazards worse in, in those very same neighborhoods. Right. This is uh, our episode, a clip from our episode, Redlining and Climate Change. This is Newsbeat. In many ways, if the planet is getting warmer and we're seeing more frequent, more intense and longer duration heat waves, then in many ways we are encountering uh, what I would call a public health crisis that's very preventable. This is one of the most preventable natural hazards that we could encounter. And yet we are still seeing people die unnecessarily across the country. Studies across the country. All around, all around. Caught on front streets of the up team. All around. It's more than just a little musty, you're uncomfy. Keep getting too much heat. Sounding like a Trump speech, denying climate. No canopies or brush trees inside and rides. Denying bias while they flying by us. I hide behind the same tight lies. What well, time's up? A few degrees Fahrenheit up, you might bust. That's what pressure does, makes the pipes bust. That's why there's hell up in Harlem, that's why we starving. That's why they spit the same jargon, that's why we marching. That's why the Bronx is burning, it's not arson. That's why they carpet bagging and why they carbon overheating. And the heat in the apartment is like a swamp and they don't even care. It's the biggest market. Is it possible that pollution... So giant shouts once again to Silent Night, who I believe is in a building, our artists and residents. We take the interviews with the experts, the activists, the academics, the journalists. We take the topics that are not given enough shine by the mainstream press. We take the artists, the independent, brilliant independent hip-hop artists that know how to translate the compelling narratives. We mash them all together. We deliver you Newsbeat and Redlining Climate Change. Came out about a year ago, I guess, now? Yeah, it came yeah. out. I think yeah, last spring, early summer, and I, I sort of recall that like four months later, the New York Times did the same story, basically. Yeah. But um, it just goes to show, sort of, uh, uh, you know, just the, the important issues that we're covering, and that's why we need people to listen and and get involved. I like those subtle shots fired, Rashad, at the at the. Uh, I think it's the second New York the, Times reference. The, yeah, the second or third <laughs> in this episode so far. Um, yeah, I mean, and and what was great about that that uh, episode as well was I think we were we might have been the first to report on that study uh, that basically concluded, uh, you know, because of redlining, you know, families, communities are trapped in what's called these urban heat islands that basically cook people alive over time. Yeah. I, you know, as, as we've talked about, I won't get into it. Our guest is waiting. Uh, but the information that we put out in these episodes is so illuminating. It's, horrifying it's the you know these are episodes we wish we didn't have to make uh because they 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 shed such light on these incredibly tragic uh situations uh but it's stuff that you know i didn't know the depth of until i heard our own episode 
So thank you uh, for the work that y'all do bringing these issues to light. And uh, thank me for my part in it. But I'm honored and privileged to be a part of it. Anyway, let's keep it going. Uh, I do encourage people uh, to check out more of that episode and all of our episodes. The Newsbeat Podcast. Newsbeat is two words, one love. Wherever you find podcasts, uh, just search for Newsbeat by Maury Creative Studios. Uh, you'll find us or go to usnewsbeat.com. Uh, each of our episodes has a full, uh, really a full in-depth feature cover story attached to it. So not only do you hear this incredible you know, music slash journalism uh, in an audible, audible form, you'll find a great amount of information, resources, links uh, in the cover story that accompanies it. It's quite remarkable what we do, if I do say so myself. And with that, let us move on to uh, our next guest tonight. Uh, this will be an incredible conversation. Gentlemen. Yeah, I mean, we're absolutely honored uh, to have uh, Catherine Flowers, um, an environmental activist, uh, founder and director of Center for Rural Enterprise and Environmental Justice, um, who has a book recently out uh, titled Waste, One Woman's Fight Against America's Dirty Secret. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for, for, for being here with us. Um, I'm going to get right into it. Um, you know, uh, your book, uh, I just want to quote from the forward uh, from Brian Stevenson from the uh, Equal Justice Initiative. Um, Our planet is dying. And, uh, you know, this environmental crisis that we're all facing is going to victimize the poor and vulnerable the most. And what's what's incredible about your book is that you're taking readers literally firsthand on this journey through this. Um, you're going through these neighborhoods. You're talking to these people. You're seeing uh, you're you're seeing these 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 horrific scenes that are playing out uh, in so many communities um, in such vivid detail. And um, so I, I go back to the title, um, you know, the fight against America's dirty secrets. So I was wondering if you could just describe to to listeners, to viewers, what that dirty secret is, and um, some of the things that you've seen, why you describe it as uh, what you did in a Guardian piece, quote, the final monument of the Confederacy. Yes, uh, well, America's dirty secret is that there are people that live in the United States that do not have access to adequate wastewater uh, infrastructure. And, uh, the worst of that secret of people that when they flush their toilets, that the uh, affluent from the toilet ends up outside their house on top of the ground. It's usually in the ground or it could be in, in an open pit or in a ditch. Uh, the other part of that secret is uh, that we found out other than, than that, is that there are people that uh, have paid for on-site sanitation. And when they flush their toilets, the uh, uh, if, if it rains because of climate change and the soil holding water, a lot of times these systems fail and the sewage comes back into the home. And then the third, the third problem that we've discovered is that there are uh, municipal systems, uh, primarily in communities that are poor or communities of color that have failed, the infrastructure has failed and people have sewage in their homes. I saw it in Centerville in Illinois. I saw more toilet paper and feces outside of those homes that I saw in Lowndes County in the rural communities. And right now in real time, you see what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi. 
where uh, because of a climate event, when it got really cold in Texas, uh, everybody was focusing on Texas, but it also froze in other parts of the South. And the, the, the water and wastewater infrastructure did not hold up. And people ended up ended up having to boil water, had no water at all. So we that that's America's dirty secret that these kinds of conditions that you would expect to find in poor countries exist here. Wow. And and Catherine, I want to uh, stick to that theme of you know of poverty, which I think maybe the potentially the pandemic maybe opened people's eyes to the extent of the poverty crisis in the United States. Um, but so, can, but can you just talk about how so how entrenched it is, how big of an issue it is, and, and because I think you were the one who gave um, part of that tour to Philip Olson when he um, came to America to document it. So, can you talk about the crisis and just how how terrible it is for people? Yes, uh, when Dr. Austin came here, actually, first of all, I wanted to them to understand the relationship between what was happening with the wastewater problem and poverty. I think. We, we were effectively able to make that case and he visited Lowndes County. When he went to Lowndes County, the first home that he went to, it was a compound of families that lived in about three mobile homes. Uh, and when we walked around the back of the, the double wide that was in front, you could see raw, you started seeing the raw sewage on the ground. The second home that we went to that was there was a single wide mobile home. You can actually see the sewage leaking from underneath the home. And, uh, and there were at different places throughout that property, you can see holes in the ground with raw sewage in it. And we went to a second home uh, where the sewage was so bad, in fact, it was running into a ditch and the water lines were just above the, um, the water lines were just above where the raw sewage was. I mean, like if there was any kind of, if there was any flooding or whatever, uh, the question is whether or not anybody would, would think are these people potentially drinking their own affluent? Uh, is it seeping into these water lines? And nearby, you could see like children's balls. You could see um, there was a, a basketball uh, goal that was near there. So that meant if the, if the ball went into the sewage, uh, the children either had to retrieve it and try to clean it or just leave it there. And we were there with a reporter and, and all, of, all around us were mobile homes in this case. And we were there with a reporter and one of the reporters asked, asked Dr. Austin, he said, um, cause I could tell that he was kind of shocked by what he was seeing. And he said, uh, what do you have to say about this? He said that this is uncommon in the developed world. Wow. It's incredible. And, and Catherine now for those for those listening and watching who who may not know, never heard of Lowndes County before, um, you do such a tremendous job of, of, of really painting that portrait of its, of its history, um, uh, part of the Black Belt uh, where slaves were brought and, and toiled, um, and near Montgomery uh, where uh, Martin Luther King uh, led that march in 1965 uh, for voting rights. Um, so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about, and I, and I think Stokely Carmichael, right, was there and, and he started, which basically became the Black Panthers. So I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that, about that historical context and that history there in Lowndes. Well, first of all, Lowndes is located between Selma and Montgomery. Uh, most of the Selma to Montgomery Voting Rights March goes through Lowndes County. Uh, 
It is also uh, a place where at one point there were more, uh, they, they had a lot of slaves there. Uh, Montgomery used to be one of the largest slave trading ports in the U.S. After they ended the importation of slaves uh, from Africa, that, that, that was in the constitution. So there were different centers of slavery uh, around the South. We know famously about Charleston, we know about New Orleans, but Montgomery was one as well. And a lot of people that are in Lowndes County, black people and myself included, are descendants of those slaves that came to, um, to the area and were sold into to slavery there. So in, when, at the end of slavery, in order to control the population, they put in place a lot of Jim Crow laws and they used violence and Lowndes County became known as Bloody Lowndes because of the violence, there were at least 11 documented lynchings, and there were probably many more uh, that took place in Lowndes County. Uh, famously, they, there was a sharecroppers union that was organized in Lowndes County and was put down by violence. In addition to that, W.E.B. Du Bois actually came to Lowndes County in the early 1900s and did a, um, and did a labor study, but it was so explosive that the Department of Labor would not release it publicly. Um, and then, of course, later in the 1960s, people started organizing for the right to vote, and they organized the Lowndes County Freedom Organization, which uh, was a political party that took as is is um, as emblem the Black Panther. And there were students that came to Lowndes County from around the country uh, who were part of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, which it, which included Stokely Carmichael and many others. And they worked with local people to organize their own political party. And they ran their own slate of candidates, which set the stage for them eventually winning most of the elected offices in Lowndes County. So the history of Lowndes County, I believe, is one of the reasons why there's been so much neglect because of the resistance. And I, at one point, uh, was the economic development coordinator for the county and was actually told by a federal official that the only reason to go to Lowndes County was to get to Selma or to get to Montgomery. So hence the neglect. That's why a lot of uh, money, there has been no investment in putting in place sustainable infrastructure in the county. And Catherine, I, there was something that I think you also mentioned in the book and uh, it's the sort of the criminalization of, of the poor who couldn't afford the sanitation, their own personal sanitation, because it wasn't being provided. Can you talk about the exorbitant costs of the sanitation to mitigate the problems and how um, people were being criminalized for not paying for those services? Yes. Uh, when I got involved, there were a number of people that had been arrested or cited for arrest because they could not afford an on-site septic system. And uh, actually, the health department put in place policies where they were prosecuting people. So in other words, the criminalization of poverty. Um, and, and these were, and they weren't just prosecuting people who couldn't afford septic systems. They were prosecuting people who had septic systems that they had approved that, that had also failed. So that was, uh, that was how, that was my entry point into this. That's how I got involved was to, to try to stop this, this from happening. And at that particular time I write about, I was working with uh, the National Center for Neighborhood Enterprise, which is run by Bob Woodson, and we negotiated with them that they would no longer uh, prosecute people, provided that we were trying to find a solution. Uh, but I know that they did continue to prosecute folk. And more recently, um, 
one of the families that we work with to try to help understand about the cost of septic systems. When we first started doing it, we were told they were between like six and $10,000, but we know that's not true. Depends on where you are in the county. And Pamela Rush, who I wrote about in the book, what kept her from being able to move into a home that a donor was going to provide for her. She had a half acre of property. And in order to put a home there, you know, you had to know where the septic system was going to go. We hired engineers, we paid for that. And part of the engineering, when they when they dug down 25 inches, they struck water. And they said the type of septic system that she needed was going to have to be an engineered system and it was gonna cost $28,000. Wow. So uh, we tried to, we asked them, well, how can she maintain a system that costs $28,000? She's making less than $1,000 a month. So uh, it was suggested that we look for additional property. Now this was for a half acre. In order to treat the sewers coming from a mobile home on a half acre of property, that's a lot of land. Two thirds of it was going to be used for that $28,000 septic system. And they said, in order for us to get a cheaper one, we need to go and get another half acre. So in the process of her talking to the adjacent landowner to try to get the next acre, she caught COVID and she passed away last year. Condolences. Yeah. And and, uh, we were actually uh, one of my uh, uh, one of the next questions was going to be a little bit about Pamela. Um, One of the most shocking things to me, which, uh, you know, I guess is relative at this point, because all this is just so horrifically shocking, was when you went to uh, these communities and were looking around, you saw uh, you saw such such horrific conditions and the sewage and and the people and and you know just turning on the shower or or flushing a toilet was was perilous and you had thought wow i wonder what tropical diseases are breeding in this could you tell listeners and viewers what you discovered yes uh, i actually went to the health department called me because they were getting ready to arrest a woman she was in her 20s and pregnant and they wanted to arrest her because she could not afford a septic system. Her family had already gotten together $800 to pay for a PERC test, which is part of the process of getting a septic system. That's how they determine the, that's when they do a test to determine the percolation rate, the way the rate at which the water goes through the soil. So they had come up and for that family, that was a lot of money for them to come up with to keep her out of jail. So they called me and told me that Nothing is done about it. They were going to put her in jail. So I showed up with a reporter from the Associated Press. But when we went out back to see uh, where her sewage was, she had a pit of raw sewage just outside her back door. So when she flushed her toilet, that's where all of it went into that pit. And it was teeming with mosquitoes. And I was bitten by those mosquitoes. And um, and they actually drew blood in a number of places uh, on my, my stockings. And I later broke out in a rash and I went to my, my doctor and I said, I want you to run a blood test because I want to make sure that I haven't caught anything because those mosquitoes were on that raw sewage. And then they ended up biting me and I could see blood. So I was concerned and my blood test came back negative. They didn't see anything wrong. Although I had a rash on my body, which lasts for months. And in the course of that Somewhere after that, uh, I read an op-ed that was written in the New York Times by Dr. Peter Hotez, 
who was the founding dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine in Texas. And I Googled him, found his email address and wrote him and said, Dr. Hotez, I want to explain what happened. And I said, I'm wondering, is it possible that there's something here that American doctors are not testing for? So it just so happened he was going to be in Atlanta that next week. And I went there and he said, um, I am, I'm going to send my parasitologist there because I want to look for hookworm. And that was my first time really hearing hookworm to remember. Um, and he explained it to me and he talked about neglected diseases of poverty. He said, I want you to remember that anywhere you find poverty in the world, you're going to find these illnesses. If we wipe out poverty, we can wipe out these illnesses. So his parasitologist came, we collected fecal blood, soil and water samples. And what we found was hookworms, drondroloides, and a few other tropical parasites uh, that existed there. And this was shocking because it was, it, this was something that, that's how the Rockefeller Foundation was founded. Uh, it was the Rockefeller Sanitary Commission, and they were founded for the purpose of wiping out hookworm. It led to the rise of public health, especially in the South. But uh, when we found this, it, it was indeed shocking, so much so that the state pushed the pushed back against us and said that um, that the 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 technique that we use, PCR technology, which is used now to diagnose COVID, what <laughs> uh, was was not was was not approved by the FDA, so they were not going to recognize the findings. So we ended up filing a, a legal case against them. Um, with Earth, with our partners at Earth Justice, and and hookworm uh, up until your discovery, um, and 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 it and being, uh, I guess, uh, infecting so many people, uh, they thought it was pretty much eradicated right at the turn of the century. Yeah, they thought it was eradicated because they thought that they replaced uh, people using the bathroom outside when they were walking around or um, in it in a lot of cases. They thought they replaced that with private privies and from there with bathrooms. But hmm. the reason that Dr. Hotez immediately thought hookworm, because he knew that if you had human, you got waste on the ground, that there's a possibility or people came in contact with waste. There was a possibility that they were going to be impacted by these, these uh, intestinal parasites. Wow. Uh, it's unbelievable. I remember that's something that Philip Alston uh, talked about too, just the emergence, the reemergence, I guess, uh, officially of hookworm in the United States. Um, uh, Catherine, just the last thing, uh, can you just please tell listeners and, and viewers a little bit about the Center for Rural Enterprise and Environmental Justice, uh, the mission, and just how people can get involved and, and or help? Well, our, our mission is to find ways in which we can address the wastewater problem. And we're hoping that uh, what we're actually going to do because of my MacArthur Fellowship, uh, I plan to invest that money in, in changing the engineering paradigm where we would like to bring to the table people that have lived with the failures to work with engineers who are willing to listen and to craft a solution. And we even wanna do, uh, we even wanna partner with NASA because we know that NASA is treating wastewater to drinking water quality on these space on these manned space missions. And that could, could provide us with, I think, combining that knowledge with the local know-how of guys that I know that are prefabricating parts to make 
to, 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 to for farm equipment to still run and they've never been to engineering school. That with that type of ingenuity, combining it with the community using the principles of environmental justice with academic communities that's willing to listen, I think that we can come up with something that will work because we need that. We need that because the climate change is only going to get worse. And we are seeing the failure of infrastructure throughout this country. And this, and maybe Lowndes County could also be known for inspiring the type of innovation in treating wastewater in a way in which we could have done it a long time ago. But because we were so arrogant and thought we had solved the problem, we didn't take it to the next step. And that's what the Center for Rural Enterprise and Environmental Justice is doing. And people can reach out to us by going to our website, sending us an email, or they can, uh, I'm, I'm very accessible through social media, through most social media platforms, I, I'm there. Um, we're also looking for interns, if there are college interns that would like to work with us, uh, they can get in touch with us. We're gonna be looking for interns throughout the uh, the United States to work with us this summer. We're also, we've also partnered with um, The Guardian, which was our mm -hmm. partner who released, who actually was with Dr. Austin when he came to Lyons yeah. County and also were the ones that broke the story about our parasite study. And we've partnered with them because the U.S. has not documented uh, how many people in this country have wastewater issues. So mm -hmm. what we're doing, we're, we're engaged in a year-long project where we're trying to document or asking people to self-report about wastewater problems. And we're going to map this information. And they're also doing a series of stories about wastewater problems around the country. Well, again, Catherine, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your work. Um, and we're sharing we've been sharing those links all throughout the program and, and we will continue to do so. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What an illuminating talk. Catherine, uh, allow me to give you your flowers. Uh, thank you for your work. <laughs> thank you so much. Take care have, now. Have a good one. Thank you, you so too. much. And everyone, yes, please check out the links. Check out uh, the organization. Uh, do what you can, as we all often like to preach here. Uh, don't just learn, but get involved. You can be involved. You can have this issue spoke to you. It spoke to us so deeply. Uh, Rashad, you mentioned, both of you mentioned uh, the report from the United Nations, the special rapporteur who came through and found out that, you know, this county in particular, uh, but throughout that we were, that we have these issues in our country. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, we, we interviewed Philip Alston, the UN rapporteur on, on poverty. And he said that this stuff was akin to what you see in a third world country. Right. And it's something that opened a lot of people's eyes, but apparently not enough. And, and it's just from this interview to the previous one that we had, there's sort of, obviously you could just the straight line, just segregation, segregation, racism, yep. um, just divestment, all these things that happen that you don't really see. Um, obviously they've been around, they're coming to the fore now. Um, and you just hope that some of these things can get involved. I just, just hearing Catherine talk about all the pains and the, the, everything that they need to do to get engineers in, to get a set, like one septic system um, yeah. installed when the government yeah. can come in and do this stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and that was a big part of it too. I mean, she uh, so vividly recounts in the book um, and in prior interviews I've read uh, that criminalization of the poor, uh, Rashad, that you asked her about. And how, uh, you know, they would they would arrest and prosecute families who are living in inadequate and 
really non-functioning wastewater systems. They're living in this. They have to toil in this every single day. And then the sheriff would come in and arrest them. And in order to, and, 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 and the only remediation was if they came up with, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars uh, when they're living off of, of, of so little to begin with. I mean, it's just, it just rips yeah, your heart yeah. out. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's issues that are being caused by <laughs> systemic racism, and then they end up being incarcerated for those as if it's their problem. This is why this show is important. I do hope, and I know that sometimes we preach to the choir. Thank you for everyone who's tuned in and listening to us and paying attention to us. Thank you for uh, everyone who listens to Newsbeat Podcast, where we illuminate these issues. I'm going to play a clip from our poverty episode. Two and a half years ago, or whenever the United Nations Special Rapporteur was touring United Nations, the United States in the county that Catherine was talking about, uh, uncovering these issues, the parasites, the hookworm. Hookworm didn't exist, in, and then now all of a sudden it exists in poverty-stricken areas of this country. We, we, we talked about this month, years ago, years ago. Um, we're going to play a clip, but I know that we're preaching to the choir sometimes. Share this program. Please try to get this into other people's ears. They don't understand how racism is so insidious, right? It, it, they think that because they can't see it, and you can see it if you look. But I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm trying not to be, <laughs> you know, that these things are so insidious and baked into, as we talked about, redlining and climate change. These things are so baked into the fabric of America that uh, when you get informed just a little bit, you might be open-minded. You might want to learn more, but you don't understand. You don't see. We try to spell it out for you. The Newsbeat podcast does a great job at that. I want to play a clip from our poverty. This is sort of a, a promo clip we did for our poverty episode. Shouts to Liquid, our other artists in residence. Uh, let me play this real quick. Remember, Newsbeat podcast covers these issues in depth. A long time ago, a lot of times before the mainstream media is really hipping you to them. If you're really concerned about social justice issues, like I said, we're trying to be your people. Like we're trying to be your friends that tell you, hey, listen, check this out. And here's an example. There's a demon in the city of angels. America the terror, a first-class merc in a hand-me-down skirt. Hide her tears so well, it don't run her mascara. She say, stay in your lane if you broke. What if your car on E and you parked on Skid Row? Why you out here building bridges with countries causing division? We live under overpasses, overshadowing our children. Huh. I fear it, I fear it, the trillion you spend. It could probably save a million if you shared a shilling. This holler today, we'll probably today. It's families living yearly on $2 a day. If we pray, Jesus saves and who take it away? Can't even beg on bidding me when the hookworm's awake. Uh, so it's pillar to the pavement. I can hear the earth's heartbeat fading, fading. <laughs> There's nobody doing what we do. And uh, thanks to Liquid on that. And, and, and thanks to you for listening and being concerned about these topics. Uh, poverty, environmental justice, uh, Racism; these things are all tied. They're baked, and I, I use the I use the term before, but I don't mean to use it in a ironic sense. Baked into the fabric of this country. So, thank you again to Catherine Flowers for coming through. Look, we didn't plan it like this, but on on this show, 
we had uh, two people talking about, uh, in theory, on the face, two separate issues. Um, in one, they described that problem as uh, uh, a monument to racism. And in in this case, it was what, Chris, a monument to the Confederacy? To the Confederacy, yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it's a, it's just, it's just amazing. Just, you just, we're, we're finding two separate issues. And, but then as you say, it's baked in, it's insidious and it just keeps going on. Well, thank you again to our esteemed guests tonight. Thank you for uh, everyone who's watching us or listening to us on the podcast feed. Uh, it's an interesting thing we're trying to do having this weekly show, but tying it into some of our past in-depth episodes, we have new full length episodes coming. So, don't worry if you if you've been following us for a long time and you like what we do and we go in, it's coming. Trust me. But these things we couldn't just sit and wait while we're assembling these uh, these other episodes to not touch upon these issues that are affecting us. The infrastructure bill is important. It's happening. Those have uh, direct ramifications to some of the issues that we've been covering for a long time, and we'll continue to cover. So thank you to everyone who's joined in. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, let's take it. To the next thing. What are we doing next? Think are we going to the past, past right? Let's new beat the past. A look back at uh, the world that was. So April 4th, 1968. Assassination. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Um I thought, I mean, obviously it's significant for many, many reasons to bring this up. And one being also that Martin Luther King was our very first podcast episode. It's one that we bring back every year. What they won't teach you in school. And, you know, it it speaks to the heart of of what we were founded on, really. Um, And part of that is is correcting the 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 narrative that is shoved down people's throats um or just never even put in history books you know and and in this instance um you know uh, martin luther king uh had so many more campaigns than just i have you know and 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 should you know uh than just i have uh i have a dream and um you know the poor people's campaign uh, which was also a part of that poverty episode was one of them. And, you know, he was killed uh, right before uh, he was planning to, to bring that uh, sort of a collective march uniting all races, all socioeconomic backgrounds to go to Washington and demand an economic bill of rights for every person. Um, he had been killed. He had been slain and murdered and uh it still it still went on and it resulted in uh, resurrection city is what it was called it was thousands of of encampments on the mall and um that is my flashback to the past yeah indeed yeah well, again, that's again, that's how we have the modern day poor people's campaign too shouts to the poor people shouts to uh reverend uh dr liz, liz harris and william barber Yep, and uh, uh, Reverend Dr. L- uh, Theo Harris has been on this show, right? Three times, I think. Well, she's right. been a Newsbeat guest twice and on this show as well. So, so indeed. So thanks to them yeah. for continuing that work. Uh, the MLK, What They Won't Teach You in School, uh, really our inaugural episode, but we've updated it uh, since then. 
it is really uh, exemplifies what we do with Newsbeat, the, the mix of social justice journalism, teaching you something, or maybe not teaching, eh, kind of shining light from a different angle uh, and doing it through the arts. Uh, find that wherever you find us on the podcast tip. Thank you for bringing that up, uh, uh, Chris. Rashad? Yeah. And, um, you know, because uh, I'm sure everybody's been following the Derek Chauvin uh, trial for the slaying of George Floyd. And I think something we mentioned last week, and because the media is providing 24-7, basically wall-to-wall coverage, we thought that it's best for our resources, obviously, to focus on some other issues that might not be getting attention, but but it's obviously still hugely important. And right. just, I think maybe just some brief takeaways, if you guys want to discuss really quick as we end the show. Um, one of them, obviously, is that I, I think law enforcement official after law enforcement official that has testified in this trial so far has basically said what Derek Chauvin did was not part of department policy as, you know, as fluid as the uh, attorney for Chauvin might want to make it out to be. It's not part of policy. And they've had people um, one by one um, sort of uh, eviscerate that notion. But I did want to touch on just one thing and it's something that may have been missed. And to me, it, it speaks to the large, one of the larger issues, obviously, and it's sort of like the the sort of the trauma that people have to live with day in and day out in some of these communities who are uh, over policed um, and, and terrorized in, in some ways. And I think what really struck me was that there was uh, among the people testifying were teenagers. There was somebody who I think was nine years old. It was yeah. young people. And one of them, I just want to read the quote from Darnella Frazier, who testified last week. And and she says, she said, when I look at George Floyd, I look at my dad, I look at my brothers, I look at my cousins, my uncles, because they are all black. I have a black father. I have a black mother. I have black friends. And I look at that and I look at how that could have been one of them. It's been nights. This is what really struck me. It's been nights. I stayed up apologizing, apologizing to George Floyd for not doing more and not physically interacting and not saving his life. <clears throat> so obviously the killing of George Floyd had ramifications. Obviously, he lost his life. A family lost somebody. But these people who witnessed this, 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 what happened, are never going to forget it. And they're obviously living with it every single day of their lives. And that's that's just something that I wanted to take. Uh, just one of my takeaways from the the trial so far is just the trauma associated with what um, what happened to him and what happens a lot in this country. Yeah, way too often. Uh, you know, this wasn't the first time that some of these people, you know, in the, in these communities saw violence perpetrated against their neighbors or their family members or someone that looked like their family members. Um, I will say this, you know, one of the key defense points is that Derek Chauvin was so uh, fearful from the bystanders interfering physically as uh, as you mentioned in the quote they feel guilty that they didn't physically intervene and and obviously there's a reason why you don't physically intervene when the police uh, a number of police officers are physically uh, yeah. exerting excessive force you you feel trapped you feel helpless because you know that if you do so you're going to be met with the same the same fate potentially uh, but the fact that they that they didn't that they did uh, exert res- restraint uh, may actually be what helps put Derek Chauvin behind bars. 
uh, because uh, while they were verbal and while they were filming, they didn't uh, interfere. And and I would hope that there's some, I don't know, uh, comfort in the fact that while you feel guilty that you didn't, you know, jump on his neck and <laughs> you know yeah. do all the things that you probably now look back and think uh, that justice will be served because you know you let justice you know, uh, yeah, right. deferred really, I guess. Yeah. Well, true. Uh, but let's, let's see what happens. If that, did that, if, if that isn't yeah, the, yeah. the end result, then it's all a, it's all a mess. And this whole system is a mess. I, I, one of the things that I heard, I, I was driving. So I, I listened to a lot of news cause I was on the road and I was listening to the trial and the testimonies and the analysis and all the things. Cause I was making moves to Atlanta back and forth scrambler. Uh, somebody, I don't know where I heard it, but they made mention of this really interesting fact that the, the, the killing, many would call it the murder of George Floyd was the most witnessed death in human history. Yeah. Yeah. That's what uh, Rashad Robinson said in our podcast. That's what I think Larry Ham said that too in a separate uh, episode. Yeah. Like that's incredible that more people saw this one particular incident and i i don't know what that end result means i don't know where that's going to go in terms of a criminal trial uh, i've listened i think they're presenting a, a, a pretty decent case from the prosecutorial side but you know how these things go yeah yeah, so, all I know is just once the cameras are gone and the trial's over however it turns out is that these people who are right there the the, the dozen or so or few or less um, obviously this is going to be with them for the rest of their life and potentially the regret too. So, yep. well, again, but, but, right. But for the fact that they filmed it, yeah. that they spoke about it, they had the guts and the courage and the wherewithal to come on to a, to, to a, a, a worldwide stage and testify to what they saw and what they felt. That's, that's, they're, they're, they're doing more than their part. So right, and this I'm, is probably different than than most trials that we get to experience in in these uh, police killings. Yeah, and you spoke about this, Rashad, before we before we got in the air. We're talking about all those things that don't get to a trial, which we're going to talk about on Newsbeat soon. Uh, and, we should and send fact, it to Tom Cotton. Yeah, well, apparently Tom Cotton feels that we're under incarcerating. Uh, so I've got a suggestion. <laughs> We've done really good job in America at incarcerating black and brown folk. But if Tom Cotton thinks there's an under-incarceration problem and that despite all of that activity, all of that effort to, to incarcerate as many black and Hispanic people as we can, we've done so good. We've done a great job. If Tom Cotton thinks there's still an under-incarceration problem, there should be more people incarcerated. I've got an idea incarcerate the cops <laughs> that are perpetrating these murders. And if you want to show right out of the gate that you're on board with this, Minneapolis is a great place to start. We'll see what happens. That's right. Uh, I, I want to welcome a uh, welcome. I want to invite people to check out the Newsbeat podcast. If you like what we're doing here, you will love what we do there. Uh, Newsbeat, wherever you find podcasts, two words, one love. Newsbeat by Maury Creative Studios. Shouts to Maury Creative Studios, a 
multifaceted company, a digital marketing company, obviously a, a company that is uh, putting together or helping us deliver this information, Newsbeat Podcast, and this week in social justice. I want to invite people on the Clubhouse app to come hang with us tomorrow as we do a post-game report. Uh, what, we'll, we, what we talked about on this show, we will be talking about there and a little bit more uh, in depth. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Clubhouse app. Look for me, Manny Faces. Look for Rashad Mion. Uh, soon we'll look for Christopher. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, it'll be under the club uh, hip hop. I don't, I don't think it works on that. It's one. a prototype. It's a prototype. That phone <laughs> is so old. It was it. It owes Jesus a quarter. Uh, <laughs> that's an old your mama joke. <laughs> hip hop uplifts humanity. The club on Clubhouse uh, that will this this discussion will be under because we do involve hip hop music and culture into the Newsbeat podcast. We believe that the intersection of the arts. And journalism is a unique thing that needs to be uh, amplified and celebrated. Uh, once again, thanks to our guests tonight. Do check out uh, Catherine Flowers' book, Waste, One Woman's yep. Fight Against America's Dirty Secret. This is off the bookshop.org uh, app, which I'm just kind of getting into. I think it's a cool app. Uh, supports local bookshops. You could order from there instead of yep. uh, Amazon. So check out bookshop.org for all your book needs, uh, including Waste, One Woman's Fight against America's dirty secret and a self plug, as I like to do. Speaking of hip hop, uh, I will be on an incredible panel Friday uh, hip hop and black futurity as critical praxis in virtual spaces, a panel discussion on hip hop education and the building of black futures in virtual community spaces, in part because I have a podcast called Hip Hop Can Save America and I interview a lot of people who are doing incredible work. Matter of fact, there's people using, uh, there's a, an intersection of hip hop and urban planning which uh, has something to do with some of the topics we discussed today. So I invite people to check that out. Find out more at mannyfaces.com where I have a calendar and you can find out uh, things that I do. Other than that, we'll be back next week. Anything I'm missing gentlemen? No, I think we covered it. I think it was a a pretty uh, important show that we just uh, streamed. So we hope people to check it out, check out the archive. And if you're listening on the podcast, try to join us every Wednesday night at 8 PM Eastern. So you can see uh, all the fancy things that Manny does on his screen. I do a lot of fancy things. Look. Hmm. So there you go. You can only see that if you see us. Thanks again to Sage in the in the in the in the in the in the, in the inner workings of the uh, uh, of the the cogs and the wheels helping us out on the background. Once again, thanks to our entire Mori Creative Studios team: Jed Mori, uh, Jeff Maine. Uh, shouts to John Chim, John Sasala, everybody who's helped us out uh, in making this a thing. Go to usnewsbeat.com to find out more about the podcast and our exceptional journalism. Gentlemen, there's a reason why collectively you two have won hundreds of awards from journalism uh, outlets uh, in, the, uh, in, in, in the past. And we continue to do uh, award-winning work bringing these issues to light. I thank you. I'm honored to work with you as always. And I can't wait till I see you again live and direct on This Week in Social Justice next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. All right. Peace, everyone. I still don't have a, I don't, I don't have a thing. To you still don't have an outro. I was I waiting know. for it. I was trying, but, you know, all right. No. I'm working on it. One day I'll surprise you. For now. You're not doing no. this social justice show. Do, do we play the polka? Do we play the hip-hop polka again as an outro?
I mean, we could do that. Do I? Ha- I don't have it. Why is it not here? Where's the hip hop? I do have. Shouts to Silent. Night. Let's no. Let's do it. Let's take it out once again. Silent Night, our artist in residence. Uh, we love him. We love his work. And apparently, he's too big for Newsbeat now. He has to go to ABC World News now, and and now he's it's like he's cheating on us because he did this. This is a special Friday here on World News Now. We've given you all types of polkas, and you guys are always telling us you love the polka. It's not Friday. You can't start your weekend until you get the polka. Nope. Um, We've seen all types where we've gotten artists from all across this country to help us and to contribute. Mm -hmm. And so, Mona, for about two years now, I've been trying to get a certain type of polka. Oh. Yes. For the first time, we have... Making his premiere, a hip hop yes! polka. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From Brooklyn, New York, hip hop recording artist SK Silent Night. World news polka. Hey. Carrying on to Politics of foreign wars, or the weather, or the scores. That's the world news polka. That's the world news polka. And you're an insomniac, in a good night sleep you lack, do the world news poker, do the world news poker, it's late at night, you're wide awake and you're not wearing pants, so grab your world news now, more than everybody dance, hey, have some fun, be your pal, every anchor guy and gal, do the world news poker, do the world news poker, world news poker, almost 30 years, news poker, do the carrying on tradition, it's the world, Larry Mitchell, come on, who cares what the bosses think, they're a goofy and if your neighbor's caught a cop is all you have to do When they yell it's half past three Tell them hey it's news to me That's the world news poker That's the world news poker If you're up this late you must be headed to the john But hold it one more minute while we get your poker on get it. You'll know the weekend's near when it's little tune you hear It's the world news poker Do the world news poker Do it World News Polka. World no, no, News Polka. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. Our big thanks oh to my Barry God, Barry, Mitchell there. You are amazing. And look, here's my sign I'm holding you know up. The for here, the culture. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I love yeah. that and I needed yeah. that and I, yeah. I want to see that every day. Uh, Silent Night, busy is my best friend. Check out Silent Night is busy, our artist in residence. There's a reason why this genius lyricist is our artist in residence. You've heard him on many Newsbeat episodes. Uh, Sage says, oh no, Rashad says he needs to do a Newsbeat version now. Uh, so yeah, SK, I mean, I guess by next week. Let's get let's, let's come on. around. We can't we'll, keep promoting this other show. I mean, we might just have to like get a, a new artist in residence. Yeah, you know I mean, I hear uh, baby can girl she, faces. Can she, can she do poker though? Oh, she can do anything, man. Baby girl faces can do it all. YouTube it five minutes later. <laughs> all right, y'all. Listen, uh, where's my? I don't. I lost all my my buttons. Let's see what happens when I go away. All right, y'all. We're out here. Check us out next Wednesday, 8 p.m. Thanks to Silent Night. Thanks to all y'all checking in uh, with nothing else to do in your lives. Uh, We're here for you. Like I said, well, listen, people got nothing else to do, but check us us out. Somebody needs to tell me if the Yankees are winning. Somebody said to me today, I had a Yankees hat on, and they mistook me for a Yankees fan because I had a Yankees hat on, and it's like I'm just a New York guy. 
And they were like, yeah, the bats finally woke up recently. Is that true? <laughs> Briefly. <laughs> the bats did wake up. I was one of those fans saying, break up this team. This team sucks. You know, <laughs> after two games. All right. Very cool. So. Well, listen. Um, by the way, real quick, I'm just noticing this right now. This is crazy. Uh, reading Rainbow and Star Trek legend LeVar Burton and Roots uh, legend LeVar Burton wants to host Jeopardy. Wants to be the new host of Jeopardy. Oh, I everybody can, wants to host Jeopardy. Aaron Rodgers is hosting Jeopardy. I could fully sign on to LeVar Burton being the new Jeopardy host. So I'm putting it out there. Let's start the campaign. Peace and love, y'all. We're out of here. Go eat dinner.